for all things, for all things KC, KC, for everything Chiefs. It's always, it's always game day in Kansas City. Now, here's your host, Kayla Kinnearum and Cody Tapp. Welcome into It's Always Game Day in Kansas City. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. No Kayla Kinnearum today. It'll just be me, Cody Tapp, our producer, Nick Schwartz, getting you ready for what will end up being, what, a few days away from Super Wild Card Weekend, Nick. Do you still like that name, by the way? It feels kind of cheesy to call it Super Wild Card Weekend. I felt like we could have just stuck with the wild card part of it, and that would have been fine. I'm going to be totally honest with you. I didn't know that was a thing, even after you said it. When you said it, I thought you were just calling it Super Wild Card. <laughs> no. You threw a super in there? They went through a rebranding last year. When they added that extra playoff team, and then it's like the Saturday, the Sunday, and the Monday games, that trio of games on the Sunday... That's when they tried to be worse. Super wild card weekend. Not just regular wild card. Super wild card. Yeah, I I had no idea that was a thing. Like, okay, I, so it's so it's not catching on. I so thought it was just wild card weekend. What's the difference? <laughs> what makes this one more super? There's an extra one team. more team. No, yeah, that's, that's it. doing it for me. I'm gonna need a little bit more if you want to start throwing around the term super. What about that? Uh, what about that? Like red panda? Like she's like spin plates? Would that do? Would that would that add a super level to you? Uh. I, I don't, I'm confused. Is she at the games? Is she? No, <laughs> she's, like, she just goes to all the games and she spins the plates. You know, she just adds yeah, an extra, I mean, you know, gravitas. Logistically, I would have some follow-up questions on on how that's all going to work <laughs> out. But to your point, I mean, there's nothing more spectacular than watching Red Panda flip bowls onto her head. So uh, I'm I'm game. I don't know if it would work out, but that that would actually yes, that would increase my my willingness to call it Super Wild Card Weekend. Part of the reason we get to sit here on a Wednesday and not talk about an upcoming wildcard game is because of where the Chiefs are. We know they've got the bye. They're the number one seed. And depending on if they play Buffalo or not, they've got home field advantage throughout the playoffs. And we know the credit that Andy is going to get in this. Patrick Mahomes is in an MVP year. We understand this part. But then I start thinking about, like, if we just had to. Out of 100%, if we had to divvy this thing up, how much credit does Brett Veach deserve for this? Because... He's coming off his most impressive draft. He found a six-sack rookie edge rusher late in the first round. Just, you know, not an easy task. Not an easy thing to do. He found a starting NFL corner. He found two other contributing corners in Jalen Watson. His starting running back came from this draft. Like, I mean, I don't know what else to look at other than he's pulling three starters and four contributors out of a single draft for the team with the number one seed. Like, if I'm giving it up, Nick, it's not as easy as 33, 33, 33, because Patrick Mahomes means too much and would mean too much to any organization. I give him probably 60% of the credit, but of the remaining, or 50% of the credit, but of the remaining 50%, I'm not so sure that it's not 35% Andy or 30% Andy, 20% Veach, because he absolutely deserves his due. He traded Tyreek in the offseason. He brought in Juju. He had an excellent draft class. This team is not here without Brett Veach. It made a great in-season trade for Kadarius Tony. You know, you look at this draft class of the, was it 10 guys that they drafted? Nine of them played at least 11 games. And Trent McDuffie played exactly 11. So did Nazee Johnson, who was the 259th player drafted. I think that's the first time we've referenced his name on this podcast. Yeah. But he's played in 11 games at safety for the Chiefs. He was a late seventh round pick. If Trent McDuffie didn't get injured in week one, you would have talked about him playing 
16, 17 games. Because all those other guys, George Karloftis, Sky Moore, Brian Cook, Leo Chanel, Joshua Williams, Jalen Watson, Isaiah Pacheco, they all played at least 16 games, Cody. The Chiefs were fifth in the NFL in rookie snaps this year, yet they still finished the season 14-3. and As your point, normally that rookie snap thing, God, that's usually for bad teams, man. That's like, I don't, if you have the list in front of you, I'll bet the other four teams didn't make the playoffs. No, they were all the Texans and whatever of the world. Yeah, I would assume it's the teams that are in rebuild mode. Like, hey, we're trading our best assets for draft picks. We're going to load up on 10, 11 rookies, figure out what we've got, and just kind of go from there, right? That's not exactly what the Chiefs were doing. The Chiefs went into the season expecting to compete for a Super Bowl yet again. And despite the fact that they look a lot different, they got a lot younger on defense, you have maybe more depth without the top-end talent on offense, the results are exactly the same. You could argue that the defense is actually more productive than they were a season ago. I know the flashy numbers, right? The sack numbers were better. So you could get into points per game and, and have that conversation. But all in all, this draft class, you give an A-plus for you, for all of the acquisitions, for the roster construction, you give it. You give the Chiefs an A plus. I guess my my question to answer your question would be, how much is Brett Veach pulling the trigger on these, and how much is Andy Reid pulling the trigger? Because we know you're not drafting anybody or trading for anyone unless Andy gives you the okay. So I know that Andy has a voice in that room, which is why when I was divvying up the other fifty percent, I said thirty to Andy and twenty to Brett Veach. I know only giving Brent Feach 20% of where the Chiefs are right now feels like a diss. But there is no other general manager I'd give that percentage to when they have a franchise quarterback. Mahomes just, he holds too much weight. He just does. Andy was winning divisions when it was Alex Smith and John Dorsey, right? It's it's not an offense to that. All I know is that for this particular year, if Brent Veach didn't have the draft he did, they're not the number one seed. They're playing this weekend. If he had a B draft, Nick, as you had pointed out, if he has like a B draft and McDuffie or Karloff just aren't working out or Cook can't be on the field or Jalen Watson can't play 11 games for you, they lose one more game and they're the two or the three. And they're having to go through Buffalo or go to Buffalo and Cincinnati or play both of those damn teams or any of it. Like, I, I get your point that Andy has a voice, but I think it's pretty clear that when Andy decided to like semi-step away from the general manager role, that his role in this for me is advisory. If there's something he's adamantly against, he's still the lead dog. If he's like, I'm not doing that and we don't want it. Or if he's like, I want this, I still think there's something there. But in the end, I still think he leaves a lot of it to Brett Veach to make the calls up to that point, if it makes sense. So I think ultimately we'll judge this draft class in three years. And when we find out who's getting a second contract, who are you, who are fans clamoring for the Chiefs to give a second contract to? Because if... If, if George Karloftis, and I don't think this will be the case, but hypothetically, if he's just a six-sack guy every year, I don't think we're going to be jumping up and down saying, wow, can you believe they got this guy late in the first round? Yeah. But if he is a guy who all of a sudden becomes a double-digit sack guy and you want to give a massive contract to when his rookie deal's up, that's how you'll judge if it's a success or not. A lot of this is like, because again, George Karloftis, it's a, it's a home run pick if at the end of the first round you get essentially Carlos Dunlap. The reason why I bring up him is they're both tall and long. They led and they were first and second in the NFL and batted passes this year. So like maybe the profile is the same, but Carlos Dunlap's going to play 15 years in the NFL, averaging eight sacks a season. Maybe that means Carlos doesn't spend his entire career with you, but he gets a second contract with you and he plays a long ass NFL career. 
And at, at pick 30, I get it. They can't all be TJ Watts, right? Like at that stage of the draft. But I mean, this is this is the best draft anybody had all year based on current results. You're right. In three years, we'll have a better idea on how to judge it. But I'm pretty sure that there's going to be at least two second contract guys in this conversation. And more importantly, this offseason, guess what? Now you don't have to sign Snead if you don't want to. You can, and I'm not against it. But if you didn't want to sign Snead, and I told you you had three corners who played the entire year for you, played 10, 11, 12, 16 games for you, Nick, makes it a lot easier to move on from a corner rather than pay him top-in cornerback money. Or, you know, Frank Clark, who's going to be gone finally after this year. At least you got Karloftis, right? You've got some pieces where those decisions that you couldn't make last year on guys, they get a little easier. So of all of the moves made, whether you want to go off the draft picks or if you want to go uh, free agent acquisitions, in-season moves, which one do you think we'll look back on as having the biggest impact on the team? The biggest reason, either in the short term, long term, the reason why they're 14-3 and three and, and still a Super Bowl contender it's, or it, you want to talk big picture? I guess they're com- it's a combination, but it's trading Tyreek. It's trading Tyreek and getting an edge rusher. I mean, that... They were number four in the NFL in sacks this year, and that's because they had a rookie edge rusher you could count on. I know a lot of that's Chris Jones, but, I mean, to me, it's that move. And the, even the notion now that we thought that there was going to be a step back on the offense, because I'll always argue, they can be like, oh, this is easy for the Chiefs. He asked for $30 million. Man, that is not an easy conversation. You know about if you're Brett Veach, you got to think you're going to trade Tyreek. Then you got to approve it with Andy. you got to bring it by your quarterback. you got to talk to the owner. There's not a single person you cannot be having a conversation with before you say, hey, guys, just real quick, if I let go of a guy who's going to have 1,800 receiving yards this year, is that a problem with you? You guys cool with that? Like, that's going to be, especially long-term, that might be the reason why this window is so wide open now. Letting go of Tyreek and saving that money, that, that might move you for years. So I think my answer, and this is something that I can't really, I can't really back it up right now, Sure. But it's something that I, I, I look more towards the long term. I think a few years from now, we could be saying that Kadarius Tony trade was the biggest one. Because we don't know what's going to happen this offseason. We don't know, A, what's going to happen with Juju Smith-Schuster. You don't know what Sky Moore is going to become. Because that's the one move we haven't really discussed. The one thing you kind of look at and say, are we sure about Sky Moore in Kansas? We don't know. It's inconclusive, and I don't think we're going to find out even in the postseason, if he makes a big play, gets a big yeah. score, it's not going to be enough to say, okay, this is the real deal. He's here to stay. So there's still question marks with the offense. If Kadarius Tony can be a number one or a number two in this offense in a year or two years from now, and then we'll look back on the fact that you gave up a conditional third-round pick and a sixth-round pick to get a guy who's going to be one of your top weapons, I think we'll look back on that as one of the best trades that Brett Beach ever made as GM. I'll say this, considering how this relates to Tyreek, considering how expensive wide receivers have become, if Tony turns into an 800-yard receiver, if he turns into MVS, right, a 700, 800-yard receiver, they have him under contract if they want to pick up the fifth-year option for the next three years for a total of $16 million. Can you get a cheaper receiver than that on the open market? I don't, I don't think so. So it's like, like, that's it. It's cheap. It's cheap and controllable, which is big, big for the Chiefs, at least in that situation. I was saying the other part about thing. this. I want to say uh, one more thing here. Um, I, it's a running back, and his numbers weren't crazy good. 
So he kind of glossed past it, especially with the way Jarek McKinnon's played, and he's kind of stole the thunder. Getting a starting running back in the seventh round, it happens. It's not like the craziest thing has ever no. happened, right? We see it all the time. That's a position you can get value on. But a lot of teams don't do it. Like the Chiefs just drafted a running back in the first round two years ago. Teams draft guys in the first round, second round, third round that don't end up working out. They pay big money contracts to guys whose best football is behind them. We see it all the time, Cody. Teams making bad decisions with the running game. Bringing back Jarek McKinnon and drafting Isaiah Pacheco is going to get glossed over, but it it is quietly one of the best moves the Chiefs made because since week 12, the last time that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire played was week 11, and he only had like two snaps against the Chargers. Since then, the Chiefs are second in the NFL in rushing success rate, second behind the Pittsburgh Steelers. This has been one of the most efficient rushing teams in the league since they basically created this two-headed monster between Pacheco and McKinnon. And I don't think that should be overlooked simply because you think of the Chiefs and you think of a vertical offense. Well, that's part of it. We understand that going into this postseason, that part of what's going to go with on Kansas City is this is going to be the toughest quarterback field they've ever seen in the postseason. It's a who's who of who was taken in the top 15 of the NFL draft over the last five years. Like, that's legitimately all it is. It's Patrick Mahomes is the oldest quarterback at 27, and every other quarterback were just the guys who were first-round picks in the years that follow Patrick Mahomes' draft order. But the part of it this intrigues me, because I don't think anybody disputes that is, I think this is the toughest coaching field he's also faced. Look at the guys that he's going to go up against. Four of the seven coaches who are in the AFC playoffs have coached in a Super Bowl. Three have won a Super Bowl. The ones that are left are not even guys you would necessarily immediately point to laughingstock. One is Mike McDaniel, a complete unknown because he's in the first year of his coaching tenure, whatever. One is Sean McDermott, who we all respect as a very good coach. And the other is Brandon Staley, a guy who I have now more questions about after his decision in week 18 to play some of his players that might end up costing him some injuries for this upcoming playoff game. But the fact if I had told you there were three Super Bowl winners, four Super Bowl appears, and then a bevy of coaches behind it that we generally think of as being very analytical and smart. Like last year, Andy had the decisive coaching advantage in the postseason because we didn't know anything about Zach Taylor and we could joke about him a little bit, right? But now, because Doug Peterson's now in here and there's a bigger mix and Harbaugh, who's won a Super Bowl with the Ravens, Andy has the coaching advantage because he's better than those guys, but isn't the margin a lot slimmer? Yeah, because when we're talking about coaching, I think sometimes we use that as a catch-all when it doesn't... We're not really getting to the root of what we're talking about here, right? Because when we talk about Andy being a great coach... Listen, I love Andy Reid. No one, and and Chiefs fans included have ever claimed that Andy Reid is like a master clock management. No. Nobody's ever claimed that he is one of the best at managing timeouts or fourth down. No. He's not super consistent. And again, if those are your knocks against him, it's fine because everything else that comes with it's been pretty damn good because he is one of the most innovative offensive minds. He is a great play caller, even though, you know, in the middle of a game, the Chiefs get two or three straight three and outs. Everybody's saying, what the hell is Andy doing, right? So I guess that's just being an NFL fan. Yeah, sure. There are guys in the AFC who are better than him at making the right call on fourth down. There are guys in the NFL, in the AFC playoffs, who are better than him at clock management, at timeout management. So what would you rather have in the postseason? If you had to choose between those two scenarios, would you rather have the brilliant, 
offensive mastermind genius play caller, or would you rather have the guy who's just always going to make the right decisions late in games? In my opinion, based on his history, the genius play caller. I don't know why that's not what I want, because when you get to the postseason, people know who you are. They do. They got 17 games of tape. They know what you do. There's no secrets here, except for the Chiefs. There are. There are secrets. That's why I think Doug Pe- the being under Andy Reid is why Doug Peterson was able to call the Philly special in the Super Bowl. He understands that when like shit's real, you have to kind of just like actually make a decision on something that might on paper feel bad, right? You're like, am I doing this? Am I throwing the ball to the quarterback in the end zone at a pivotal moment of a Super Bowl game? That feels dangerous. If I had told you, hey, Andy could do that or just let Patrick choose the right kind of throw to you, would be like, mm, I don't think I want Patrick catching the ball. I feel like I'd rather he throw throw the football. But that's what makes like the ring around the rosy play, which we're going to talk about here in a minute, right? The snow globe play. That's what makes it work. Andy Reid called the Rose Bowl parade play. I'd rather have those moments. The problem is, is like, I, like if I were ranking him out, I think it's pretty obvious. If you're ranking out the seven AFC coaches, Staley's the worst. Make an argument that it's not Staley anymore. Zach Taylor got his team to a fucking Super Bowl. I, You know, I can't. Staley's starting his players in week 18 and trying to get them hurt. Like, I can't. Like, they're, last year, you could have easily, I would have I would have laughed at the notion that I was choosing Taylor over Staley. But Staley is the worst head coach remaining in the postseason, right? In the yeah, AFC. Well, yeah. With Zach Taylor, we said this last year that, that Zach Taylor was being carried by Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, and then he goes to the Super Bowl, and it's like, okay, are we ever going to let this guy off the hook? Like, at what point do we just say, okay, maybe, wow. maybe he's better than we're giving him credit for? Yeah, it's definitely Brandon Staley. It's definitely Brandon Staley, and that's so funny because of the reason why he was hired, because for being, like, this defensive mastermind and always knowing, you know, being super aggressive on fourth downs, and then this year as the injuries sort of seep in and you say, okay, is he switching up his philosophy or is this just a product of him trying to coach to his team? But there is no, there is no argument to be made after what we saw in week 18. After the Chargers being locked into the five seed, him still trotting out all his starters for three plus quarters. That I usually give coaches the benefit of the doubt and say, you know what, maybe there's something going on that we don't know about. Maybe you know, they're privy to information yeah. that we don't get. I have yet to find someone trying to defend Brandon Staley's decision to play the starters in week 18. So that alone makes this a very easy question. And that's it. Like it's because of the rest of it again. Well, look, we got to put Staley behind the four Super Bowl appearing head coaches, three of which have a, have a win Mm -hmm. in the game. So then I'm left with Sean McDermott. I'm not putting Staley above him. Sean McDermott's been his success period is longer than Staley. Staley just got to the postseason for the first time this year. He hasn't even won a game yet in the postseason. I'll wait. This is part of the reason. I think Jacksonville's winning the game this weekend. I know we're going to talk about these games on Friday. I think Jacksonville's winning. I They are, the Chargers are the more talented team, but not by a wide enough margin. And I think the advantage that Doug Peterson has, having gone through this with an underdog-type team, that ain't going to scare him away. And as much as, like, you know, Justin Herbert's been great, I, you know, I think Trevor Lawrence might have that. Um, he seems like he's got a little bit of that Burrow, like I'm just going to win mentality. He hasn't shown fully that Burrow will win under any circumstance. It doesn't matter. He's unflappable. That's ridiculous. But, but I think that Trevor Lawrence shows some of that. I feel like Jacksonville's got an advantage because of that. 
And it's just like, I can't, like, this is going to be a really tough field. You're not going to just be able to outcoach everybody. You are going to have to outplay some of these teams. Just out of reality. You can't, you can't just go in thinking you have that advantage. The good news is for the Chiefs, Nick, is coming into this postseason, no team has more wins against other playoff teams than the Chiefs. So I'm going to have you, we've had this conversation a little bit. I think that you might be more in line with this than others. I think there are people out here, and I know that that sounds vague, but I, I think that there are people that are looking at the Chiefs and they tell themselves, what I'm seeing is a bit of a mirage. Not exactly what people think of the Vikings, but I don't think, I think that there are people who think the Chiefs are a mirage of what they really are. They're not this good. They're not a 14-3 and three team. Look at the flaws that exist. But there are a couple of stats that make me think that there's just no way that can be true, and instead you're looking for perfection. They are 6-2 and two against playoff teams that are currently in the AFC and NFC field. So those are teams that made the postseason. They had the 11th hardest schedule in the NFL and managed it with the best record in the NFL. And against those teams, the 6-2 and two record, they have a plus 54-point differential against the playoff teams. And I know 20 of that's coming against San Francisco, and I don't care. They consistently beat playoff teams all year. Buffalo and Cincinnati don't have nearly as many games against them. Buffalo's point differential is only plus five. Cincinnati's is only plus 34, which is, I mean, not bad by any means. But I look at a couple of those stats and I'm like, no, even if you don't like the way Kansas City plays sometimes, they're clearly as good as their record states. Okay, so, um, you know, it's never too late to make improvements and enhancements, I think, whether you're talking about personally, in life, or on a podcast. So I know it's... The playoffs, it's super wildcard weekend, as I learned earlier, but it's, I don't think it's too late. Super to wildcard weekend. Can we debut a new segment? <laughs> sure. I've got one for you. Just came up with it right now. Uh, brand new, original title. Uh, it's called Alternative Facts, okay? So you gave me the facts about where the Chiefs are at point differential against playoff teams. Yeah. I have some uh, alternative facts for you. How okay. about if we just looked at the Chiefs' record and point differential versus AFC? playoff teams right uh two and oh against the chargers i've got the number oh and two against the the bills the, and the Bengals. i've got the numbers for you so those numbers that you gave me include a 10 point win over tampa bay include a 21 point win over san francisco they, do. they include a 14 point win over seattle all right Correct. so now let's just look at the afc teams Versus the AFC playoff teams, the Chiefs are three and two with a point differential of plus nine in those five games because they beat the Chargers by three twice, they beat the Jaguars by ten, and they lost to Cincinnati and Buffalo by six by three. Yeah, each by three points. No, excuse me, Buffalo was four. Yeah. So it's plus nine in those five games. So. I don't really care about what you did against the NFC playoff teams because all I want to know is how tough, Let's before we even talk about winning the Super Bowl, how tough is it for you to just make the Super Bowl and knowing that you're, in all likelihood, going to play either the Chargers, who played you really close, or the Jaguars, which wasn't that close, but they've been a different team since then. You win that game. Again, in all likelihood, you're playing either the Bills or the Bengals who both beat you in the regular season. That, to me, is why I think there is a perception that this team is more flawed than their record would indicate. It's because of how they've looked against those top two teams and then maybe to an even lesser extent how they've looked against the Chargers in two games is, that were really close. This is also why I have zero interest in taking on Cincinnati. Like, I think we were, like, waffling a little, or I was waffling a little bit on Friday. Like, I don't know, man. Would you rather place the Bills at home or 
Are Bills on at a neutral side or Cincinnati at home? I'd fully flip. Bills on neutral side. Screw playing Cincinnati. You know what Cincinnati is against AFC playoff teams? 3-0 with a plus 29 differential. Now, two of those games were against Miami and Baltimore, and they played Baltimore at the worst. The worst. It's not like a borderline not even impressive time to play. By the way, that game, yeah. Uh, Well, Go on. Sorry. I'll let you finish your thought. No, I was like Tyler, whatever. The, I can't even remember the name of the, uh, who's the quarterback. Who started? No, who's the No, who's the quarterback? Well, that's Skyler Thompson. Who's the quarterback who started for Baltimore this final game? Oh, not you're thinking of Huntley, but not Huntley. It was Anthony something. And, yeah, it, that's so bad. If we Anthony something. Me. Anthony something. Close enough. Then it's like, what were the bills in those, right? Because the Bengals are three and one. One of their losses against Baltimore divisional opponent. The Bills, if you go through, they're minus two against Miami. Then they're plus one because they beat Baltimore, so they're one and one. Then they're plus five because they beat Kansas City and two and one. And then they didn't face – oh, and then they beat Miami by – Anthony Brown, one. by the way, is his name. Anthony Brown. So the Bills generic, are also like – The most generic name ever, right? The The Bills are also three and one. But, I, you know, I, I get it. Because, honestly, you could extrapolate out the Kansas City record over two or three years. And it's like every stat is hilarious because it's like, hey, the Chiefs record over the last three years is 1,007. And the seven losses are all against Buffalo and Cincinnati. And it's like, yeah, that part's annoying. And a problem for Kansas City in this upcoming playoff field. And I get that that's the point you're making. There's no doubt. But this is where having to buy is a massive advantage. In this particular postseason, to hell with that, man. I wouldn't want to be Cincinnati and taking on Baltimore if Lamar Jackson plays. I sure as hell wouldn't want to have to take on Buffalo or Cincinnati, depending on if I was the opposite. I know I, you know, like the Chargers in Jacksonville can cause the Chiefs the problem. But against those two teams, the teams they're most likely, Nick, to see in the second round of the playoffs, you know what they are in those? 3-0. and 3-0. They won yeah. all those games with a plus 16 differential. They beat all of them. Like, they, they won. They got a point. They were close, but they won. So mm-hmm. it's like, I don't have to worry as much about the Chiefs until the AFC title game. That, that feels good. That feels good. Meanwhile, one of the teams, Nick, who isn't in the postseason, that is the Denver Broncos. Interestingly enough about the Denver Broncos is you might ask yourself, why are they asking about the Chiefs? Shouldn't they be worried about Russell Wilson's contract or what head coach they might be going with? You know, very serious problems. No, instead of backup offensive lineman, Took to the end of his season when he's packing up his locker. And if you've never been in this situation, it's a bit of an awkward situation. But he's sitting in his locker and he, they're asking him about Quinn Moret or Miners. Mine, they're asking him. By the way, just just for the record, he is the he is the starting guard for the Broncos. Okay. So give him some, put some respect on Quinn Miners' name, please. Quinn Miners, who's the starting guard for the Denver Broncos, said that he was upset. It made him mad that the Chiefs did the ring around, as he put it, the ring around the rosy play and made this whole point about his only goal seemingly in life left is to beat the Chiefs one time. And this, for whatever you can be, I'm not mad at Quinn. He is absolutely speaking how he really feels in this moment. And I'm not totally sure that he means he's mad because he thinks it's disrespectful or mad because his team's not fun and keeps getting its ass kicked by the Chiefs. That's why I think he's mad, which is great news for Chiefs fans. You're living rent-free in a starting player for the Denver Broncos' head. He's talking about you after his season's over. They didn't even play you this week. So I'm going to be the only person in Kansas City that is willing to defend Quinn Miners for his comments. All right. I know this is not going to make me a very popular man. Probably not. But before I even saw the reaction, so this is not just me being a contrarian. Before I even saw people's reaction, I just I watched the video. 
And by the time I got to the end of it, I was kind of like, you know what, dude? I love this guy. <laughs> he is, because if you're self-aware enough, you know that that's not going to like come off well. Because sure. even, if, even if, like, I think Chiefs fans are taking it as like, well, why don't you do something to stop it then? It's like, well, that's, I don't really think. He that's can't. That's his frustration. He well, can't. I don't, think he, I don't even think that's what he's saying. I don't think that he is saying that that you should never do that on a football field, which I feel like is the way it was interpreted. I think what he is saying is this team just kicks our ass every time we play them. We can't beat them. They're our biggest rival. They kill us. And we can't even pick up first downs with our regular run-of-the-mill offense. Yeah. Meanwhile, they're scoring touchdowns on these trick plays that nobody else is running. If I was any Broncos player, and this is the other part that I don't get, like people are saying, well, why don't worry about them? Like, worry about yourself. You're sitting at home. It's like, no, the, you're their biggest rival. They're thinking about you all the time. And don't even act like in Kansas City, we don't think about the Broncos or the Raiders or the Chargers. Like, yeah, it's nice to be at the top and be able to shit on them all year. But we think about the Broncos and the, we yeah. think about the rivalries. That's why they're called rivalries. He hates the Chiefs. I expect you to hate the Chiefs if you're a Bronco player or if you're a Raiders player or if you're a Chargers player. And he is speaking honestly, saying like, yeah, it pisses me off watching them run all these plays and have so much success. I resent the Chiefs for being as good as they are, which I would totally feel the same way if the Chiefs were in the cellar and one of those teams was competing for Super Bowls every year. I would resent everything about them. I think he was just speaking honestly. I don't really think he was taking a shot at Kansas City. I think he was being surprisingly transparent in how he feels about how miserable the Chiefs organization makes him. I think it's sometimes how I feel about Jason and Travis Kelsey's podcast because they're so much better at it than they fucking should be. And I'm like, no, stop it. You're millionaires. Struggle. You're great at the other job. Be bad at this. Yes, be worse. <laughs> you know what? You're too good at this. It's frustrating. I'm trying to host a podcast and I'm like, damn it, that one's so good. Why? <laughs> Why? Okay. So he's gonna, I, and they're going to kick my ass for the next five years in the so podcast. Am I crazy for thinking that? Like, it, it, no. It, look, I think a lot of where it came from is because they jumped on Quinn Miners because there was a shit ton of hand wringing Nick from other fan bases and a little bit from the national media on the like, this is how dare they? How could they do that to a team? How could they show them up in this? That's not sportsmanlike. And you're like, also, here's the thing about it. I don't think he was saying any of that, by the way. It didn't. I don't think so either. Because he didn't say it. I think he was just saying, like, this sucks watching them have so much fun and be good. I kind of take it that way now as well. And I think I think part of what happened, Nick, is because other people were saying that. He wasn't, but other people were saying, like, this is unsportsmanlike. And let me just, this is the problem here. If you are paid hundreds of thousands of dollars, in most cases, millions of dollars, in some cases, hundreds of millions of dollars, there's no sportsmanship. That's for high school sports. That's if your kid's in youth wrestling. Shake hands, say good job. When you're getting paid $10 million, no. That's out the window. I don't have to show you shit. We're fighting now. We're, we're up against it. This is the playoffs. We're in the division. We're out to get you every single year. I don't owe you anything, right? I mean, don't be like the, don't be the Packers player and shove a trainer. I'm not talking about that, but you can, you can showboat as much as you want. This comes back to like my whole take on taunting. Every, every NFL player should be allowed to taunt as much as they want. They but should be able to throw down their bills in someone's face. It doesn't matter. You know what would end this discussion is that you know who hates taunting? Andy Reid. 
So if Andy Reid hates taunting or anything that is going to be either, it's either going to cost the team or it's going to be perceived as like being unsportsmanlike. He doesn't do it. So if he runs that play, that means he doesn't view it as being unsportsmanlike. He just views it as a good play. He's trying to confuse you. That's it. He's running around because he's trying to confuse you. And then, and it worked. That's the messed up part. It worked. They objectively got out of position, which allowed Kadarius Tony to go towards the end zone. I know they got called back on the hold, the mystery hold, but it's like, Andy does those things. Like I always point out, like if you're ever looking for a reason why Andy wouldn't just call it to showboat, right? Because Andy doesn't do that. Mahomes showboats on accident in a way that like he just does things on the field that are like disrespectful because he's so great. It's just like embarrassing to you, right? He's not trying to embarrass you. He just does those things and then it's embarrassing to you. I always point out the Rose Bowl parade play because the Kansas City Chiefs ran a tricky motion play that was a trick play designed to deceive deceive the defense in a 3 nothing game in the Super Bowl. So, like, if he's willing to run it then, he's not just doing it to rub it into the Raiders' face. He's doing it because he thinks it'll work. Like, that's it. That's that's really what it boils down to. And honestly, they needed that game. They could, It wasn't just jackassery. They couldn't just, like, do whatever they wanted. They needed to win that game against the Raiders in order to be the number one seed, didn't they? So yeah. it's like, I mean, I'm just saying like, I, yeah, didn't it? So it's like, I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Before we get out of here on It's Always Game Day in Kansas City, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. It's Wednesday, which means Nick, we get a little vibe check. Since I'm the one leading the way today and Kayla's got the day off, I'll let you go first in the vibe check and then I'll give you mine. Okay, so this is going to be a little wordy. So maybe you can help me summarize this in a more succinct manner. Um, you know, the old like hypothetical that everybody always has thrown out there for years now, for decades. It's timeless. It is, you know, if you were walking on the side of the road and you found an envelope and there was you know, $5,000 in it, what do you do? Do you turn it in or do you put it in your pocket and keep walking? Right. And then the implications of that, what, what is the humanity comes into effect? Okay. Who, 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 whose money was that? Did they need it for something? Is this a hostage negotiation? Is somebody going to die because I picked up this money? Was that to pay somebody's rent? And now all of a sudden they're going to be displaced sure. or was it a drug dealer? And all of a sudden I just took some money off the streets and I can feel good about it. The chiefs found $5,000 sitting on an, in an envelope and they showed you that they did the same thing that any of us would do, which is I'll put this money in my pocket and I'm going to keep walking and I'm not going to say a damn word about it to anyone because that is what happened when the NFL passed the resolution that opened the door for the Chiefs to control their destiny, beat the Raiders, get the one seed in the playoffs. There was a lot of consternation about, well, what should the Chiefs do? Did the Chiefs really earn this? Is this fair for the Chiefs? What do you do in a situation like that? You don't do anything. Do people resent you for it? Probably. I bet you the Bills, I bet you if you got Sean McDermott behind closed doors, he'd say, yeah, it's kind of bullshit. You got Zach Taylor behind closed doors, he'd probably say the same thing. Like, really, this team who had nothing to do with what was an unprecedented incident on Monday Night Football all of a sudden is benefiting from one of those guys having a heart attack and the game having to be canceled. And that's exactly what happened. But the Chiefs should not be expected to do anything in that situation that no other team in the NFL would do, which is apologize for something breaking in their direction. I know the Chiefs are the fun team for everybody else in the AFC to hate on, and it's for a simple reason, because they're tired of watching the Chiefs compete for Super Bowls. They're tired of watching Patrick Mahomes win MVPs. They're tired of watching Ring Around the Rosie plays. But they wouldn't do 
anything that the Chiefs didn't do in that exact situation because if the Chiefs were involved and they had to relinquish a game, I guarantee you Buffalo or Cincinnati would have gobbled up that one seed and not said a damn word about it. They absolutely would. There's just no doubt about it at that point. For my vibe check, I'm going to go with a little David Bowie and Queen. If you're familiar with those two artists working on something together, the song they're most famous for doing together is Under Pressure, which is what the Chiefs are. Going into the year, they had kind of a semi-free pass of taking a step back, oh, falling short in a divisional round game. We would have all understood it if we had asked ourselves that question back in August when they had lost Tyreek Hill and we thought half step back to take a full step forward in the following year. Not anymore. No, I don't think so. The Chiefs have got to get to two Super Bowls with Patrick Mahomes, and they got to do it soon. It doesn't have to be this year, but if Patrick Mahomes is going to be generational, to get to two Super Bowls would make you one of eight guys in NFL history. To get to three or more would be one of four guys, or in my, Mahomes would make the fifth guy in NFL history. They have real pressure now, especially because as much as we've talked about the narratives of other teams as it relates to the Chiefs, if they lose to Cincinnati again this year, the narrative against Cincinnati is they can't get past that team and Joe Burrow has made them their bitch. And the other problem is if the Bills get past you, it's, well, guess who else caught up? The Bengals got past you last year and now the Bills have. So you're behind two teams over the last two years in the NFL standings. And even worse, if you fall to a team like Jacksonville, the Chargers, and you let that door crack open for someone else, there's a lot of pressure to say we're still the king. We're on top. We're going to stay on top. This is for us. Like, I do think that the Chiefs have an immense amount of real pressure to come up big in this postseason because with the one seed, like you said, coming their way and they get the advantages that come with that, they get a bye week and to not face those two teams. I think my vibe for this week is the playoffs get ready to start is pressure. Like, they, they're under pressure. I thought Vanilla Ice sang that song. <laughs> It's a dun 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 dun. Have you ever seen that clip of him like explaining? No, the there's like the a song? tick. Yeah, he's like, there's a tick at the end. Dun 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 dun. It's different. You just can't. You, you can't. You know, there's a slight difference. You're like, there's not, and that's why he got sued, unfortunately, for that. That's gonna do it here for us for an episode of It's Always Game Day in Kansas City. Nick and I, Kayla, will all be back on Friday. Get you ready for super. Now we've learned super wild card weekend in there. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you guys on Friday. <laughs>